Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Well, hello. What's up? I am so ready to talk about horror movies. I am, too. This this and is going to be a fun one. It is. I was about to say, and what a week to be talking about it. One of my favorites. Well, I hope it's going to be a good one, and we do it justice. Uh, but first, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater, and we're told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us. Oh yeah, the theater moves around. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. For our first movies, we're going with the classics and have deferred to one of the definitive names in horror culture and are using online horror magazine Bloody Disgusting's list of the best horror movies of all time. And this week, we're doing another classic. It doesn't get much bigger than this. No, no. I mean, as we've mentioned, this whole top 10 list is full of classics. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this hat, this is it. It's a heavy hitter. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of the ones that is nostalgic in all the right places. It's just such an iconic movie. It really is. So, of course, this week we are doing John Carpenter's classic, Halloween. Yes, yes. Like I said off the top, one of my favorites. I was so excited that this was in this list because obviously me as a fan of the movie I felt that it belonged there um, and then obviously that meant just you know kind of in this birth of Dead Zone that that meant we got to talk about it and I was really excited to kind of dig into one of my faves so soon off the bat so yeah I, I was super stoked that we we got to jump into this this week. Why say we not wait let's get to it. All right. And before we do that, it's probably a good time to stop here and just, as always, warn you guys that this is a spoiler full zone. Um, we're going to talk about anything and everything as far as the movie goes, and there's going to be no holds bar. So if you haven't seen Halloween, first and foremost, I, I plead of you to go see it. I need you to pause the podcast, go and watch 1978's version of Halloween, because it's just chef's kiss it's so good and i need you to go watch it and then you can come back and hang out with us and listen to us talk about it and and i promise you it'll be worth it well this one is definitely pretty scary so if it's gonna be too much for you don't worry because we're gonna break the whole thing down for you definitely def i won't judge you too much i promise all right, well, before we get into our breakdown of this amazing film, let's get to the wiki. So Halloween is a 1978 American independent slasher film directed and scored by John Carpenter, co-written with producer Deborah Hill and starring Donald Pleasance as psychologist Sam Loomis and Jamie Lee Curtis in her film debut as Laurie Strode. 
Filming took place in Southern California in May of 1978 before premiering in October, where it grossed $70 million, becoming one of the most profitable independent films of all time. Primarily praised for Carpenter's direction and score, many credit the film as his first in a long line of slasher films inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and Bob Clark's Black Christmas. Halloween spawned a film franchise comprising 11 films which helped construct an extensive backstory for its antagonist Michael Myers, sometimes narratively diverging entirely from previous installments. A remake was released in 2007, which was followed by a sequel in 2009. An 11th installment, which serves as a direct sequel to the original film that retcons all previous sequels, was released in 2018. Two sequels to that installment, titled Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, are scheduled for release on October 15, 2021 and October 14, 2022, respectively. Additionally, a novelization, a video game, and comic book series have been based on the film. In 2006, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Well, first and foremost, I didn't know there was a comic book, and I kind of want it. And then also, I love that, like... (laughs) This movie franchise, it just gives no fucks. There's like a bazillion sequels. <laughs> there's no timeline, really. Like, there's a sequel to this movie over there, and then there's the sequel to this movie over there, and then there's the standalone movie right here that spawned a prequel to some movie over there. there there's one in the franchise that has absolutely mm-hmm. nothing to do with Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. Which I just, I think, why not? You it's, know? It's crazy. Throw caution in the wind. <laughs> but it's been just a hoot and a holler the whole time it really has but of course this one the one that kind of spurred them all uh the synopsis of this uh birth of the iconic michael myers is on a cold halloween night in 1963 six-year-old michael myers brutally murdered his 17 year old sister judith he was sentenced and locked away for 15 years but on october 30th 1978 while being transferred for a court date A 21-year-old Michael Myers steals a car and escapes Smith's Grove. He returns to his quiet hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, where he looks for his next victims. Well, of course, this movie was originally titled The Babysitter Murders, and the events were supposed to take place over several different days. Uh, But it was due to the restriction on their budget, which I think ended up being around $320,000, that made them change that script So everything happened on the same day. That way that would cut down on the number of costume changes and the different locations and so on and so forth. So, and seeing as how it's all supposed to happen on Halloween, the scariest night of the year, Mm -hmm. uh, I I think it worked out great. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I am not opposed to to getting this babysitter murders. This sounds also cool. Uh, (laughs) If we could make that happen, I'm also down for that. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I mean... I can't picture this movie any other way than than the perfect movie that it is, with Michael and his heavy breathing. Well, starting off immediately, we get that damn theme song. Yes. It is so good. It is. It's so, so good. The music in this whole movie is phenomenal. I mean, just as soon as you hear it, it's it's just, it's associated with fear. Something is coming mm-hmm. and it's bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, the entire time we're we're doing this this push in shot, uh, 
uh, as the opening credits roll on this tiny pumpkin. It's mostly silly, not really scary. Uh, and the closer we get, the more you realize this pumpkin is a pretty shitty pumpkin. It's like pretty banged up. Yeah. And could we not have gotten like a better, nicer (laughs) pumpkin to to be in this film? We had a small budget. (laughs) We did. But then you also have to realize that they're shooting this in spring and it's really hard to find pumpkins. So they kind of had to go with what they could get. That's a fair point. I wish they would have used like a squash or something, but still (laughs) called it Halloween. All right. And, you know, why not? Just various gourds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. It'd be, can you imagine a cute little squash pumpkin? And then Michael Myers pops out. <laughs> a tiny Michael Myers, <laughs> who has also been squashed. Yeah. <laughs> I also like to think that it would be amazing if his weapon of choice would also be a variation of summer gourds. Just like shoving it in ears and down throats. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a new avenue that could be explored. I think so. In the world of serial killing. <laughs> yeah. On the silver screen. Mm-hmm. Well, we are now in Haddonfield, Illinois, and it is Halloween of 1963. And here we are at the infamous 43 Lampkin Lane. So, kissy kissy, someone is watching Judith Myers <laughs> and her boyfriend mm-hmm. get it on on the couch. Yeah. But who is our peeping Tom? Uh, we don't know yet. It's us. Right now, yeah. yeah. It is us. We we are doing the peeps. Yeah. We uh, are the peep. <laughs> so they decide they're going to go and uh, continue this upstairs. Mm-hmm. Move the action to the upstairs. Canoodle upstairs. And the lights turn out upstairs and there's like this really shrill music cue right there. Mm-hmm. I almost peed a little. It's so loud. <laughs> it is. It's like, is that loud. my fucking popcorn spiller? We are two seconds into this movie. <laughs> and they turn out a light and I've messed the couch up. Just a one random song a few minutes <laughs> like, in. Shit, God damn it. What happened? They just turned out a light. I don't I don't know what to tell you. What's your popcorn spiller? It's just a timestamp. Just this one moment <laughs> where you peed. Well, that would our- be amazing. <laughs> Well, our peeping Tom is now in the house and grabs himself a knife, but looks like Judith's boyfriend has already finished up for the evening. So if you haven't seen this film, you should know this opening establishing shot is is all from the point of view of our peeping Tom from outside the house and eventually making their way inside of the house. But it's all from their point of view, and it's made to look like it's one single shot it's actually three different shots there's there's three different cuts in there but it is implied that you are watching all of this happen in real time so from the time we see the kids leave the couch and go upstairs and from our peepers point of view have gone into the kitchen gotten a knife we now approach the stairs and boyfriend is already coming downstairs he's all done and he's like i'm gonna call you tomorrow people have actually timed this that left them a total of a minute and six seconds to have the sex. Hey, one and done. That is pathetic. Get in, get out, diddly da day. I mean, I don't even know, did he even get his pants down? Who needs to? <laughs> Who needs to? Maybe that's the thing. Maybe he was just like, he zipped and went, you know what? Uh, turns out I'm done. And so I will call you tomorrow. We will never speak of this again. 
because oh, I'm still I'm in high school and have no way to control these things. <laughs> She's like, are you ready? And he's like, nope. Actually, I got to go home. I was ready five minutes ago. I'm now halfway home. <laughs> That's amazing. From now on, we will call him the Minute Man. Yeah. Good grief, dude. All right. So this allows Judith to sit topless brushing her hair upstairs as we all did in high school yeah that was a thing i did just sit around with no top on yeah and you can't brush your hair unless your boobs are out everybody knows <laughs> you that really can't well in walks little brother michael and it turns out he has been our peeping tom the whole time yeah uh, he dons a clown costume and and puts on the mask and just proceeds to stab the hell out of Judith. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we don't get any penetration here. You don't see the knife going in. We do get a little bit of blood splatter. You do get some aggressive stabbing sounds. Very aggressive, which uh, Carpenter took his cue from Hitchcock here and used the sound of a, a knife going into a watermelon to get those lovely, juicy stabbing sounds. Very effective. Yeah, they're so aggressive sounding. But the blood that we see here... Hope you like it, because that's just about the as gory as this is going to get. This is not a gory movie. No, no, no. Everyone remembers that it is, because it's what it's implied. Mm-hmm. But this right here is literally as bloody as this movie's going to get. Yeah, yeah. It's not very gory at all. I don't... That's odd, because I don't really... I've never associated this movie with being gory, but I mean, I guess I can understand... Well, sure. I mean, you're talking about a serial killer who stabs people with knives, so you're just going to assume that it's just got to be blood and Mm -hmm. guts everywhere. And it's not. No, not really. Yeah, now now that you kind of talk about it, and I'm I'm thinking back about every single kill, yeah, it's it's either implied or, again, you're just kind of getting just sound effects Mm -hmm. or or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, yeah, I... I guess it's similar to Texas Chainsaw where the memory kind of fills in these gaps and makes you think, oh, yeah, that was a pretty gory, bloody movie. And then you go and watch it and you're like, oh, I guess it really wasn't just because your mind likes to make up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It makes it much worse (laughs) Mm -hmm. than it actually is. Mm -hmm. So, of course, here we have this murder that happens right after sex, albeit very short. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it, it starts to reinforce that rule that teenage nookie leads to death. Yeah. Now, Carpenter and Deborah Hill have stated several times over the years that they did not consciously set out to depict virginity as a way of, you know, getting by and and skirting being killed. So the reason that they claim that all you know, the kids who had sex are the ones who end up dying is because they're so busy trying to get laid that they're not paying attention to the fact that there's danger Mm -hmm. and, and they should be more freaking careful. I mean, they're just, that also makes sense though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's typical teens. That's Mm -hmm. really, you know, the only thing on their little horny minds Mm -hmm. is, you know, I got to get laid. I got to, I got to get with my partner here and and make things happen so yeah they're just completely oblivious and that's the reason why they end up dead yeah but it it does start to form this unwritten rule in horror that uh the horny teenage kids the the ones who actually go through with it mm-hmm. they're not going to make it long well maybe that's why that guy got at, got in and out he really didn't want to put it in because he was like look i know the rule <laughs> that's right i don't want to do too much yeah uh, so I don't want to get killed. And and he does. He uh, he, <laughs> he just makes w- it out alive. Went in, did a helicopter, and ran out. 
Well, Michael makes his way outside after brutally stabbing his sister uh, just as his folks are arriving home. And he's just kind of standing out there on the, the sidewalk. Their reaction is like super chill. Yeah, they're like, hey, what you doing, bud? They're like, oh, Michael, you goob. Like, <laughs> they, they kind of react. They're like, why are you holding the bloody knife? You know, but it's not. I mean, like, I would be like screaming to see my kid holding even if my first thought isn't that he did it, you know, just to see my kid in the driveway holding a bloody knife, like I would be screaming and be like, what, what's wrong? Are you okay? Is your sister okay? But there's like, kiddo. Come on, scamp. What are you doing out here? You Past your bedtime, tiger. <laughs> Goober. She eat too much candy tonight? <laughs> I figure he was just out there to head him off at the pass because you know his ass is going to get grounded for this. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. And that's his favorite knife. You know they're going to take it away. <laughs> and they do. Well, flash forward to Smith Grove, Illinois, on October 30th, 1978. So 15 years later, and Dr. Sam Loomis, who is Michael's psychiatrist, is being driven to the hospital to transfer Michael by a chain-smoking nurse. I mean, she's just getting in after it. Yeah, she could care less, honestly. She's been an Uber driver for a while now, and it doesn't pay well. She's upset. And everyone in the health profession knows. <laughs> How good smoking is for you. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, Loomis notices the nurse's rabbit in red lounge matches. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's going to come up later. So they get to this hospital and the patients are just, you know, out roaming the grounds. No big deal. You just just out for a night stroll. It's kind of an eerie shot, really, when they pull up. It's completely dark Mm -hmm. and you see just this field and these patients in hospital gowns just kind of wandering yeah. around out in the field. And it's really quite eerie. Yeah, I would absolutely lose my physical shit. Physical and man- and mental. <laughs> well, Loomis, it, his hackles are up. He immediately fears the worse. And, and I love how she's still no help. She's like, are they supposed to be out? And he's like, oh, no. And he runs out and is like doing stuff. And she's still just like sitting there. Yeah, she's like, this seems bizarre. This she's like, I should... Grab another smoke real quick. I I really should. He doesn't need me. This is fine. (laughs) Well, of course, Michael attacks the nurse as she's still in the car, but she's able to escape, and Michael ends up jumping in the car and driving off. Never mind the fact he's been institutionalized since the age of six Mm -hmm. and should have no concept of how to operate a vehicle. But this was probably like a high-tech... facility where they have like cars inside that they can like learn how to drive in like vr well they actually do kind of address it a little bit later on in the movie and i'll I'll point that out but they actually do so many people complained about that saying this doesn't make any sense how the hell would he be able to drive a car they actually end up addressing it in one of the sequels i can't remember i want to say it was like halloween 4 or something like that they they make it a point to I think it has something to do with all the years that Dr. Loomis has come and driven him back and forth to different facilities. Mm-hmm. He's just watched Loomis, how gotcha. he drives and, and picked up on what he's supposed to do. But I still call bullshit. <laughs> I love that it that people threw such a fit that it was like four films later that they like snuck in some line <laughs> that they were like, look, Michael learned how to drive because he watched a movie one time. OK, guys. And they, they like wink at the camera. He read like... the car's manual. <laughs> He's very smart. 
he watched the movie Cars, okay? He knows how to drive. Well, it's the next day, and of course that means it's Halloween. And now we meet... Our queen. Laurie Strode. The queen. Our scream queen. The scream queen. Is she not the absolute best? Just, Just the cutiest. Absolute cutiest. Now, of course... With the name Jamie Lee Curtis, she is basically Hollywood royalty. Mm -hmm. Her mother was, of course, Janet Lee, who was in Hitchcock's Psycho, and her father is Tony Curtis. So she is no stranger to the world of Hollywood. This is her first major motion picture, Mm -hmm. and Carpenter wanted to give her the shot because he was such a fan of Hitchcock's Psycho. Mm -hmm. I mean, the opportunity to get Janet Lee's daughter... To come in and now be your scream queen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. And she fucking nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. But she didn't think that she did. She thought her performance was so bad that he was going to fire her right on the spot. And he did call her the first night after shooting. And she was terrified. She was like, he's calling to fire me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And he actually just called to congratulate her and and tell her what a a good job that she did. But yeah, she she really did not think that uh, he was going to keep her on the project. But history was made. I can't even imagine, like, I mean, obviously going in, she's already, like you said, well-known in the industry and everything. But I still can't imagine your first film being something so iconic and just creating that name for yourself immediately from day one and just being like yeah i'm that bitch (laughs) yeah this is me and uh from this point on you will know my name (laughs) well Lori is babysitting tommy tonight and she's walking with him to school because she has to drop off a key to the old myers house for her dad because i i'm assuming he's a realtor uh because he's selling it Mm -hmm. but someone is inside who could it be now the boogeyman the freaking boogeyman uh the boogeyman indeed we're gonna hear a lot about the boogeyman so Lori starts singing some random song jamie lee curtis said she actually made it up uh at the time she has no idea what song it's supposed to be (laughs) but we are really glad her acting career took off uh because (laughs) (laughs) she should not not be singing uh but we still love her But someone is watching her walk away, Mm -hmm. uh, probably bothered by her singing. (laughs) But it's all right. It doesn't last long. (laughs) (laughs) So Loomis is is hopping mad uh, back at the hospital uh, for them allowing Michael to escape Mm -hmm. and wants to know... How the fuck he could drive off in a car? He asks. And, and and the guy is just like, I don't know. Maybe he watched someone over the year. You know, he makes some sort of passing thing about it because I, I think they understood that that was going to be a problem. But mm-hmm. wasn't enough to satisfy our viewers. They, <laughs> they still called BS. Well, Michael still has possession of that car. It's this, this old station wagon with this government seal on the side. And mm-hmm. he's using it to tool around town. Because he's now at Lori's school, standing behind the car, just watching her as she's in class. How just, you know, you and I, on our other podcast, Creepy Caffeine, have talked about stalkers before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how terrifying they are. Yes. That that whole behavior of someone just standing there watching you. Just not giving a fuck and just staring you down. Exactly, not yeah. even trying to hide somewhere, yeah. just standing there. Mm-hmm. 
and there's nothing you could do about it. I mean, she could go and say, this dude's standing there staring at me. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's not even on school property. We can't do anything about yeah. it. How frustrating is that? Yeah, yeah. Super scary. Yeah. It, it, it's obviously terrifying IRL in real life, but you add a creepy mask and heavy breathing and no thanks. I got to... <laughs> Got to check out of this one. <laughs> Going to pass that on to someone else because I would rather not partake. <laughs> well, now we switch over to, I'm assuming it's a different school because now we're with Tommy, yeah. who is obviously much younger than mm-hmm. Lori. Uh, and some kids are teasing Tommy about the boogeyman and make him smush his pumpkin. I know. They like trip him and he falls over on his pumpkin and then... One of them starts running away and gets startled. And I <laughs> I wrote my notes that he deserved it for being a jerk. Yeah, they, they run off after poor Tommy falls and smushes his pumpkin. They run off and one of the bullies runs smack dab into Michael. Mm-hmm. But he gets a pass. Michael lets him go. And I, too, wrote down, kind of wish he would have done a little something to scare him. <laughs> a little jerk. You can tell he was like a little bit frightened, I think, because Michael's so large. But, yeah, I... I Definitely think even just that startle, I was like, damn right, that's what you get for smashing pumpkins. Well, Michael then follows Tommy. So who exactly is Michael stalking here? Mm -hmm. So Loomis is tracking Michael back to Haddonfield and finds a dead body next to those Red Rabbit Lounge matches. So we know Michael's been here Mm -hmm. and Loomis is on the right track. Michael is going home. So it's after school and Lori is walking home with her friends and Michael gives them a little drive-by. Lori's friend Linda thinks he's totally cute. How many times does Linda say totally in this movie? Too many times. Has anyone counted it? Too many times. Totally too many times. (laughs) Lori's other friend Annie tells Michael to check his speed and Michael slams on the brakes. I would, again, shit myself. Oh my God. I would die. (laughs) I would absolutely die uh and and they get a little nervous uh but eventually he drives off so linda heads home and now it's just Lori and annie Lori sees michael behind a bush and annie goes to confront him but he's gone after that annie heads home and Lori is all on her own she runs into the sheriff so we can have a nice little jump scare when that happens. Because, again, <laughs> it's that damn music. Mm-hmm. It's just that high-pitched screech that comes in. Yeah, it's like, it's this, like, synthy, screechy. It, re- it reminds me of the stabbing sound from Psycho. Yeah. Ee, yeah. It's just that ee, that real shrill. <laughs> yeah. And it comes out of nowhere and you're like, son of a bitch, mm-hmm. stop it. Mm-hmm. Well, Lori, now home, sees Michael helping with the laundry i don't know what he's doing yeah (laughs) that classic meme everyone's seen where he's just kind of standing in the the sheets are flowing in the wind around him yeah i have in my notes Lori walks in her bedroom and i just have why does Lori look giant in her bedroom um for whatever reason she looked like a giant either her furniture was very tiny or she was very tall that's one thing that i noticed okay (laughs) and the next line i have is sheet my goal and then I have an explanation point (laughs) so I think that was just to remind me to talk about um the sheet scene Uh, the sheet scene yeah yeah just being again like you said being so iconic like that scene and the bush scene Uh are just so it's so funny because they're not the hugest parts of this movie but it's these two kind of one-off scenes have become the meme parts of these movies and I think that's hilarious because (laughs) they're not 
at the height of the movie. They're not even the parts where, you know, he's doing any killing or chasing or anything like that. He's just literally standing there. But you he's see those... just being a fucking creep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I just think it's so funny how those two scenes have gone so viral that you can just post a picture of Michael standing in a bush or standing in sheets and people know exactly what movie it's from. <laughs> Well, Annie calls Lori to tell her that she'll pick her up at 6.30. So later that evening, Lori is waiting for Annie and sits on a concrete pillar with another pumpkin in her lap, just sitting there watching trick-or-treaters. It's the most adorable thing. (laughs) So Annie gets there and Lori hops in the car and immediately Annie hands her a joint. A weed. A weed. Welcome to the 1970s. (laughs) Loomis visits Judith's grave in the hopes that Michael will have shown up. He's definitely been there and picked himself a little souvenir. Yeah, the whole headstone. Just, he's going to put it on a (laughs) keychain. Or or wear it around his neck, something. Yeah, Yeah. he, uh, he took the whole headstone from his sister's grave. Some people collect crystals. Michael collects headstones. It's Ew. all one and the same. He could have just done a rubbing. Yeah, overrated. Yeah. Well, back in the groovy mobile, Lori and Annie are token one up and jamming to Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. Nice choice. Don't <laughs> fear the Reaper. Don't fear death. Perfect. I mean, it's, it's a nice subliminal message mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oops, looks like Annie's dad's the sheriff. Yeah, the scene always cracks me up every time I, I see this movie because, um, of course, they do the same thing any teenager would do in this situation where you freak out. But I don't. I can never put myself in the situation where she like has them slow down and stop. Like I would just ignore my dad and be like, "Sorry, I never saw you," and just keep going because like there's no way that smell is out of the car. Right. Yeah. Like, it, there's it just no way. <laughs> yeah. Basically, what is happening in the scene is they're driving around so they can smoke the joint. Mm-hmm. The sheriff happens to be Annie's dad. They see him at the hardware store, and she's like, "Shit, it's my dad. Put this out." <laughs> but even if you put out a joint, you're absolutely right. It's gonna reek. Yeah. In there. And when they pull up, they roll down the window. So, like, the window hasn't been open. Right. So, yeah, it just cracks it's me up. It's just oozing yeah. skunk. <laughs> just because it cracks me up because I know how unrealistic that scene is. Because I would be like, da-da-da, didn't see you. And then I'd get home and be like, oh, yeah, I, I just, sorry, I never saw you. The strangest thing. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll look out for you next time. <laughs> well... Turns out someone has broken into the hardware store, uh, but all they've taken are a few Halloween masks, some rope, and a couple of knives. Sounds like a murder kit to me. Yeah, I love how he said it says this so nonchalantly because, you know, they're asking like, hey, dad, what's up? What's going on? He's like, oh, robbery, probably some kids. Didn't take it too much. Just some Halloween masks, some rope, some knives. He just says it like it's not a big deal. And that, that was, I wrote that down too. I was like, I feel like this is an alarming combo. Like <laughs> He basically reads her the police report. Right. It's like he could have just said someone broke in and she would have been fine with that explanation. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the next scene, Loomis actually shows up at the hardware store because he's looking for the sheriff. Because, of course, he wants to warn the sheriff as to what may be coming to his little town and he never even notices Michael drive right past him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've always loved that scene yeah. because, of course, he's been following Annie and Lori around yeah. as they're smoking. 
And as they drive off, Michael just drives right past Loomis and he's just completely oblivious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the juxtaposition, especially in that scene, because Michael is so uh, looming as as a person. I mean, his character in in the movie, uh, he's so tall and so big and he obviously just kind of slowly stalks his victims because he knows pretty much no matter what that he's always going to catch up with them. So he's just kind of this invincible character so yeah whenever he's able to actually hide from people and stay like in this scene invisible from Loomis it just kind of cracks me up because he is so large normally and very easily seen so when he's able to kind of stay under the radar I just think it's so funny that he's able to hide basically because he shouldn't be able to he's basically a brick wall (laughs) yeah I mean even when he drove past the girls after school And, you know, Linda was saying, oh, I think he's so cute. And it's like they're just they're not even paying attention. Mm -hmm. It's the typical teenage thing. They're just lost in their own world and what they're concerned about that they can't even see that this is not what they think is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, Michael continues to follow Annie and Lori and sees Lori get dropped off to babysit Tommy. And then Annie pulls in to babysit right across the street how convenient because michael now has a smorgasbord of teenage tribe to choose from but i remember when we watched this it has been a very long time since i have seen this movie Mm -hmm. and when this scene happened i was like wait a minute isn't this the same street that Lori lives on and if so why did annie have to pick her up just to come right back here Mm -hmm. (laughs) and go right back across the street. I was very confused. Mm -hmm. And it took me a minute to realize, oh, they simply went driving around just to get high. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is the responsible thing to do before you are about to care for tiny children. Yeah. That's the only way to get through it. (laughs) Well, Loomis and the sheriff now go to the old Myers house, and it looks like Michael killed and ate a dog. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, we are denied the visual of that kill, but just the fact that he ate a dog mm-hmm. is, it's so, it just immediately tells the viewer this is the kind of person we're dealing with here. Yeah. Like he's not mentally, not even like mentally human. Like that's animalistic behavior. Yeah. It's just, he just. You know, it's it's one thing to imagine this vicious killer is is after these people. We know, at least at this point, we know he's killed his sister, one mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. So you realize that that he's a murderer. But in that moment, when Loomis explains that he ate a dog, you immediately understand that oh, this is much worse. Yeah, yeah, it takes it to a different level. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, someone throws something through the window and it scares the crap out of Loomis. And we very quickly learn he is not a quick draw specialist. (laughs) He goes to pull his gun out from, you know, he's wearing one of those, I call them like those London fog trench coats. Yeah, yeah. And pulls, (laughs) tries to pull his gun out and he just fumbles terribly with it. It's like, um... You do not look like you've got things under control here, buddy. (laughs) I need somebody else in here to handle the situation. (laughs) 
And this scene, we also get to learn a little bit more about why Loomis is so terrified of Michael. And, and it's not a lot of backstory, but he's just talking about how uh, Michael has no emotion. He, he absolutely does not feel or care about anything. And, you know, it's so funny because I feel like this little exposition wasn't really necessary because we just had this scene with the dog. Mm -hmm. And when they find the dog, all Loomis says is he got hungry. Yeah. Which is so chilling. Yeah. Just just the fact that all he said was he got hungry. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. So all this back expedition, it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I get it. He ate a dog. Mm -hmm. I'm good. I'm there. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to convince me anymore. We're on the same page. Yeah. So these little tiny glimpses we get of Michael's kind of backstory and, and more about understanding his kind of rage you know, they're, it's few and far between in, in mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. first movie. Uh, you get a little bit more in some of the sequels. But prior to the movie, there was actually a book written by Curtis Richards. And it reveals more of that backstory between Michael Myers and his rage and his thoughts and his motives. However, the book is really extremely rare. Well, in our next scene, Lori is reading to Tommy when Annie calls. She hates the family dog, Lester, and Lori twirls her hair and laughs like a giant goober. (laughs) And it is the best thing ever. She literally does like this. (laughs) It is so goofy. It is. And just so endearing. Mm -hmm. It is. I also (laughs) quite love that the dog's name is Lester. It's the best name. There are so many L names in this movie, and I only bring that up because when I'm taking notes, I usually try and abbreviate the name so I don't have to write Michael over and over again and Lori over and over. So it's L and M and Annie is A and, you know, but then I started to realize, well, we have Lori, we have Loomis, we have Linda. Yeah. Now we have Lester. Mm -hmm. There's all these L names. So the only one that I could abbreviate was Lori. Everyone else I had to spell out. Otherwise, I don't know which L it is. Blonde L, Mr. L, (laughs) Dog L. Well, Tommy sees Michael standing across the street and thinks it's this boogeyman that's all the rage at his school. Annie spills something on herself. I never even saw anything happen, but all of a sudden she completely disrobes. Yeah. I mean, all she has is underwear and socks on. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that really necessary? (laughs) I've always thought that too, because yeah, I never quite... She says it's butter that... I guess we're making popcorn or something but yeah it's it happens so fast and then all of a sudden it's like she was just she was like the moment I spill anything these puppies are coming off it's like she was just waiting (laughs) they're off and she's naked and in another shirt and out in the washroom so fast I was like is she rolling around in it I don't understand why we are getting completely undressed and I I first I thought back because I was like I don't know if I would ever feel comfortable Doing that at a house that I babysat at. You mean your laundry because she goes in and does her laundry? Well, not. I mean, my laundry, I don't know. I'm not weird about doing my laundry at places, but I'm weird about like getting fully naked in places. Oh, yeah. And she just like full. And also just in the kitchen. That's another thing. I'd probably go maybe go to the bathroom or something and do it if I felt comfortable. But she's just in the kitchen with Lester and the, do- and the uh, daughter just in the other room. 
and just gets naked. But then I was like, well, maybe she's a nanny because then I used to nanny for somebody's house. But I still wouldn't get naked in the kitchen. Yeah. But she's that's, a little too comfortable here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'd probably feel more comfortable if I was nannying to, like, change clothes or whatever. But the fact that she just up in the kitchen just gets naked, it cracks me. Because, again, it's so fast. <laughs> yeah, it was really bizarre. It was just like, I almost expect to see, like, a, her spin, you know, and, like, the clothes are off. <laughs> like a cartoon spin. Like, <laughs> I gotta throw these in the wash. <laughs> I'm a mess. Well, Lester has headed outside and begins barking at the wrong boogeyman. And Michael hugs him to death. Yeah. Relatable. Sometimes dogs are (laughs) so so cute. cute. (laughs) Yeah. You just want to squeeze the shit out of them. Yeah. I never have, but there's those times where I'm like, God damn it. I just... real close. I really want to hug you harder. (laughs) Yes, maybe Michael got hungry again. Yeah. He really needs to go on a diet. <laughs> he really does. Well, Tommy is watching the original The Thing from Another World. Mm-hmm. It was done in like 1951, I think. Uh, which is pretty interesting considering that Carpenter goes on to remake this movie. Yeah, and yeah. calls it just The Thing. So that was a nice little Easter egg there. Mm-hmm. Well, he stops his movie watching because he wants to know more about this damn boogeyman fellow. But fear not, Lori is going to make sure that nothing happens to him. And I believe her. Lori could tell me anything and I'd be like, I I absolutely agree. Everything is going to be fine. Yeah. Well, Annie is now going to wash her clothes, which is uh, the laundry room is like this completely separate building from the house. Mm -hmm. She's got to cross the backyard. Uh, And... Michael's, you know, peeking around the corner, making sure she doesn't use too much bleach. Uh, He's good at helping with the laundry. He showed up and was doing Lori's sheets. Yeah. So maybe that's all this is, is he's like a laundry freak and nobody is letting them, letting him in their house to help with the laundry. And he's getting pissed. He just wants to help around the house. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice. He's a sweetheart. There's Mr. Clean and there's Michael Myers. And it's not Mike's fault that he got a bad rap. He is just misunderstood. That's exactly it. He's even wearing, uh, what are those things called? Like a jumpsuit. So he'll like stay clean. Yeah. Yeah. Janitor situation. Good for him. He's really doing it. <laughs> well, Annie gets trapped in the laundry room, uh, thanks to a warp door. She tries to get Lindsay's attention, the little girl she's babysitting. Of course, here we have another L name. But she's watching the thing as well, and uh, either can't hear her or chooses to ignore her. I'm really hoping it's the, the latter. Annie tries to climb out a window, but gets her foot stuck in like a metal thing. I don't know. It's absurd. Lindsay finally comes to get her. When Annie's boyfriend Paul calls, but here's an interesting little factoid, Uh, the part of Paul, because we never actually see him in person, that's Carpenter himself. Oh, nice. That is our director's cameo. He is the voice of Paul. Very nice. So now that Lindsay has gotten Annie unstuck and out of the laundry room, they come back inside, but Annie brilliantly leaves the back door open. What a goof. And, you know, Carpenter does a fantastic job 
with Michael's little peekaboo game where mm-hmm. he, he'll just kind of be somewhere right behind them kind of watching and then it'll it'll cut to a different shot and then cut back and he's not in that spot anymore. Yeah. It's, it's this fun little game that that just really it's it's unnerving because, you know, he could be anywhere yeah. at any time. Yeah, I know that was something that I the very first time that I saw this movie found myself doing was kind of almost like a where's Waldo situation where I would literally sit there and kind of be like kind of like an Easter egg thing like I was trying to see if he would be placed in the background like if he wasn't immediately in this scene in the forefront Uh would he be hiding in the background yeah yeah and so yeah I was fully engaged trying to find Michael through every single scene but I love that I love the fact that yeah, he plays games like that with with the viewer where we can see them. The main character may not see them, but we can see him. And then, yeah, the camera go away, camera will come back, and we're basically on the same page as the main character where we can no longer see him. Right. Well, it's it's this classic thing that Hitchcock did so well where you are privy to information that your character is not. Mm-hmm. And you want to scream at the film yeah. and say, oh my God, look behind you. Mm-hmm. And it's ineffective, which is, it's it becomes so much more intense as a viewer yeah. because you feel helpless. Yeah. yeah, You can do nothing to stop which you know is the inevitable that mm-hmm. that these kids are about to get killed. And uh, things are going to start happening pretty quick. So, of course, now we got our teenagers in full hormone mode, and Paul needs to come over. He's He's got to... <laughs> he's gots to have it. Uh, so Annie agrees to come pick him up. Uh, so she takes Lindsay across the street to where Lori is babysitting Tommy to drop Lindsay off. She's just going to dump Lindsay off <laughs> on Lori mm-hmm. so she can go pick up her boyfriend so they can bone. Yeah. yeah. So she gets back to the house and is going to go get in the car, but the car is locked and she realizes she's left her keys inside. So she goes to get them. Uh, she gets the key. She comes back out. And the door just opens right up. Mm-hmm. But she's in her own little world and doesn't even notice yeah. that she didn't have to unlock it. And gets in and, oh shit, guess who's in the back seat? A spicy boy. A spicy boy. <laughs> and Annie gets choked the fuck out. And yep. then, I'm not sure what exactly kills her. I don't, I don't I know either. not tell if he like pulled something out and stabbed her in the neck Mm -hmm. or if he broke her neck either way there's no blood here yeah there's there's no gore she's just she's being choked michael does something and now she's dead yeah like you kind of see that final like jerk and that kind of like oh sound Mm -hmm. but that's it you don't see a spurt of blood or anything like that uh, because i found myself last night watching that too and kind of sitting there kind of even squinting my eyes i'm like what what, what was the final thing? Did, did he poke something in yeah. her ear? <laughs> what, what's going on here? I also like in that scene how when she's getting in the car, what's distracting her is a song about Paul. Did you realize the, the song that she was singing was all about Paul? Yeah. I mean, that literally, there's just one-minded, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Carpenter and Hill were trying to say mm-hmm. is, you know, these people don't get killed because they had sex. They get killed because they're fucking stupid and they're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. They're just, they're single-minded. They've got that tunnel vision. She just wants to go pick up Paul mm-hmm. and has no idea that the reaper is waiting for her in the back seat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well back over at tommy's house he hides behind the curtain because he wants to scare Lindsay. 
Uh, but while he's back there, of course, he can see out the window and he actually sees Michael carry Annie's body back into the house. Well, he screams and starts freaking out that he sees the boogeyman. But Lori comes rushing in and says, no one's out there. And then Tommy immediately gets so sad because no one believes him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, maybe if you'd elaborate a bit. Like, like I know he just you know, keeps saying the boogeyman. The, the boogeyman, boogeyman, yes. And she's like, no one's out there. All he has to do is say, well, he's gone inside. I saw him carry a woman's body in the house. Then maybe you'll get her attention. But, you know, he just gives up and he's like, oh, well, this didn't work out how I planned. I don't understand what went wrong. This was foolproof I, in my head. I really gave it all I had. In my head, I scream, the Calvary comes, everyone's fine. And now I'm just sad. <laughs> but don't worry, Lindsay believes him. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love that part because she's like, well, I believe you. And then they just go sit down. It's like, well, you can't really do much, like, can well, you? Doesn't help. Stupid. <laughs> well, if you remember our three bullies that made poor Tommy smash his pumpkin, mm-hmm. uh, they're back and they are daring each other to knock on the old Myers place door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine this has probably become, you know, the scary house on the block. Yeah. So. Loomis, of course, has been hanging out around the house, just keeping an eye to see if Michael comes back and sees these kids. And, of course, he wants to get the kids away because if Michael's coming back, that could be very dangerous. So Loomis scares them off by, I don't know, he tells them to get their ass away from there. And they scream and run. But then he is very proud of himself. He is so proud of himself. He has this shit-eating grin on his face like he is, that is the best plan anyone ever came up with. No one could have pulled that off better than him. I love it so much. It's like we could end the movie right here. He's just like, fuck yeah. Nailed it. Loomis fucking save the day. That's right. Say my name. <laughs> Loomis. Feel it in your mouth. <laughs> oh, well, he ends up telling the sheriff that death has come to his town. And the sheriff tells him that if he turns out to be right, it'll be his fault. <laughs> what kind of logic is that? Like, I'm here to tell you, everyone's going to die. Well, if we do, it'll be your fault. Because I told you it's going to happen? <laughs> like, that's I don't not see how, that works. how I'm culpable. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I do the actual killing. I don't think. Maybe you didn't see this awesome thing I just did with these kids. Because <laughs> that was cool. So... Don't Clearly, you don't understand my talents, <laughs> which won't be wasted on you. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> I said good day. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Linda has now arrived with her boyfriend and some brewskis, and mm-hmm. they've made a deal to shag in a room in the house where Annie was babysitting. I don't know why they need it with that fine-ass shagged wagon they arrived in. 
this van, I'm telling you what, it is tricked out, pimped out. It is purple and white. Yeah. If the van is a rockin', I don't know why they needed to, you know, finagle this room. They got everything they need. Uh, but Linda and her man, Bob, talk to Lori and learn that they have the place to themselves because, of course, they don't know this, but Annie is dead. Mm-hmm. Lindsay's across the street. So they decide it is time to make with the sexy. Mm-hmm. So they head upstairs. Why is there a jack-o'-lantern by the bed? <laughs> Did you see it? Yeah. It's right on the nightstand next to the bed where they're getting freaky deaky. Yeah. Like, why is that there? It's like a little... Did they bring it with them? A little nightlight. Or was it there already? Because neither one of those things makes sense. Oh, can you fucking imagine if it wasn't there? Like, if they didn't bring it? Can you imagine walking into your bedroom and there's a jack-o'-lantern on your nightstand? I would shit my face. (laughs) Well, they they would just assume that the owners put it there. Because remember, this isn't their house. Oh, yeah, true. They'd be like, why the fuck the owners got it? But they didn't say anything about it. It's weird. It's whatever. I think they had one pumpkin left. And it's like, look, we're going to use them all. You know how hard these were to find? No room will go undecorated in this house, Paula. You know that. It is March and you needed me to find 20 pumpkins. Fuck you. You know I used my coupons. It's not my fault that I got 50 of these we have to use. All right. No pun intended, but I've got to give props to the prop man here. Because not only was he able to find pumpkins in the middle of spring. Uh-huh. But remember, this is shot in California in the spring, and it's supposed to be fall in Illinois. Yeah. It looks like fall. That's surprising. Well, the funny thing is, if you look at the trees, the trees all have green leaves, and they're all very full. You can even, in the background, sometimes see some palm trees. But what they did to make it appear as if it was autumn, they um, bought fake leaves and painted them to make them look like fall colors. And just spread them all over the scenes. And because the budget was so tight, they would collect up as many as did they could that didn't blow away. Yeah. And reuse them in other scenes. So <laughs> that's they were actually painting fake leaves. That's so funny. To make it look like it was fall. But uh, yeah, those pumpkins, man. He's like, we're using every one of these. Because <laughs> he's sitting there painting his 10,000th leaf. God damn it. I swear to God. No one will question me and my pumpkins. Sitting... <laughs> In a pile of pumpkins. (laughs) King of pumpkins. (laughs) Well, again, we have another one-minute sexual encounter. Yeah. Of course, Linda tells him it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Linda, things will never get better if you lie to them. (laughs) You make sure you get yours. (laughs) Well, Bob goes downstairs to get them some beers and thinks Linda's trying to scare him. But nope, just Michael. And he stabs him to the fucking pantry door. Yeah. Stabby with the stab stab. A foot off the ground. Yeah. And then he stands there and marvels in it. Yeah. His artwork. It's like, yeah. I literally wrote down, it's like he's taking in a fine work of art at a museum. Yeah. He stands there and tilts his head to the side, just like, look at the beauty that I have created. Yeah. Yeah. But again, there's no blood here. Yeah. Not a drop of it. Mm Mm-mm. But it is, it's one of the most amazing kills in yeah, horror. Yeah. It's so iconic. It just really that, is. Because it's done in silhouette. Mm-hmm. Just with the backdrop of the the, the glass doors behind them. Yeah. And it just looks phenomenal. Yeah, it's one of my favorites for sure. Well, then Michael shows up upstairs in a sheet 
with eye holes cut out. Sheet Michael. With Bob's glasses on. Yeah. Well, of course, Linda thinks it's Bob, and she flashes him and says, see anything you like? I don't think Michael's impressed, but I just love this sequence so much. From from the time that Bob goes downstairs, and of course, he gets murdered through this whole just goofy scene yeah because it doesn't make sense but it's so gleefully wonderful uh-huh. because we know as the audience again we're privy to this information that linda doesn't have which is that ain't bob yeah yeah but it's it's so stupid because <laughs> why would he do this i don't i guess it's kind of like mimicking he was in costume when he stabbed his sister. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's Halloween night. But it just seems, you know, to this point, he hasn't tried to disguise himself or yeah. anything other than the mask, obviously. It just seems so out of character. Yeah. But it's such a great scene. But again, we have something else with sheets, with laundry. I think you're right. Michael just really wants to help tidy up. Yeah, that's it. Well, Bob ain't talking and it's pissing Linda off. So she calls Lori to find out what the plan is for the rest of the night. And Michael comes over and strangles her with the phone cord. Yeah. Lori thinks it's a prank call. (laughs) She thinks someone's just heavy breathing. Mm -hmm. And the line disconnects. She tries to call back and gets no answer. So she's starting to get a little bit concerned. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, Loomis is still watching the Myers house and spots the government car Michael used to escape down the street. It's like, dude, you've been standing there all fucking night, and you just now notice the car? <laughs> He's been too busy, still proud of himself. We're <laughs> scaring the kids. He's just in there, do-do-do-do-do, can't mess with me, I'm brilliant. <laughs> Writing it down in his journal, <laughs> scrapbooking about it. <laughs> Writing his mom a letter. <laughs> Dear mom, I said the funniest thing today. <laughs> You'll never guess what I said. <laughs> Picture this. I have two words for you, mom. Sassy Loomis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sassy Loomis is the best. Well, now we cut back to Lori, who locks up and walks across the street. But it's like... The longest walk. Mm-hmm. It takes forever for. I I would assume that this is our buildup because again we know Michael is in this house and yeah. here comes Lori and we know that this has to be our big huge final showdown. Yeah, and so it's just kind of prolonging that and building up that suspense, <laughs> but it's just like good God, <laughs> it's literally across the street. Taking half of the film for you to get over here. <laughs> she just keeps looping. <laughs> well, once she finally gets to the house, uh, after getting no answer at the front door, Lori goes around and enters through the open door in the kitchen. And of course, we immediately notice Bob's body is gone. So, what the heck's going on here? Where did he go? Where's Bob? Bob. Uh, excuse me, sir. Where's Bob? Uh, I specifically left my Bob right here. Obviously not here anymore. Someone owes me a Bob. <laughs> well, Lori begins to search the house and tells the heir they're going to be real sorry for playing a trick on her. 
eventually she makes her way upstairs and sees a light on in a room at the end of the hall. And I can only imagine that everyone in the theater is screaming, don't go in there! Yes. Don't do it! No! <laughs> Turn the fuck around! <laughs> Well, of course, she doesn't listen, and she opens the door to find a room of horrors. Annie is dead on the bed with the sister's gravestone. We finally figured out what Michael did with that. He gave her a headband. He did. Uh, And Lori starts this just whimpering. That's like all she can do. Mm -hmm. She's so in shock that she's just making these tiny little throat noises. Yeah. And she's almost catatonic. And she backs away from the bed, and that triggers Bob to come swinging down through the doorway and scares the shit out of everyone, Uh, (laughs) which this now pushes Lori back, and she discovers Linda, who's been shoved in a cubby. Uh, And now Lori's freaking out and runs out of the room into the hall to have a meltdown against the wall. But immediately to her left is just an open doorway that leads to another room, but it's pitch black. Yeah. And as she's standing there, just trying to catch her breath and come to terms with what's happening, out of the darkness, his face just comes into view. Yeah. And it is so absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. They they said the way that they accomplished that shot is they actually put a dimmer switch on the light that was going to light his face up. So he doesn't actually lean into the shot, which is how it appears, that he just kind of leans forward out of the dark yeah but they just you know turn that dimmer up and it lights up his face and you know just that bright white mask that he's wearing yeah and it's so effective Mm -hmm. and absolutely terrifying and she never sees him turns to walk away he lunges out of the doorway Mm -hmm. slashes at her and just barely nicks her on the arm yeah and and rips her shirt you could just uh here's here's a little bit of more gore for you you get a little bit of blood right there on her arm yeah (laughs) that's the next goriest thing you see in the movie i think maybe you saw a little bit of blood on bob and and linda on their bodies but i mean it was minimal yeah it really was well Lori's just been attempted stabbed So she goes over the banister and falls to the bottom of the stairs. But this bitch gets up and starts trying to find a way to get out of the house. Yeah. Because she's smart. She's not stupid. She doesn't run back upstairs. She's trying to find a way out. But Michael has locked everything up. She can't get out the front door. The back door now has like a rake across it and she can't open it up. Finally, she manages to get out the back door and start running down the street, screaming for help. And where are all the good Samaritans? Nowhere. Nowhere. Nowhere No one's coming to... She actually makes it to another house, starts banging on the door, ringing the doorbell. They look outside, Mm -hmm. close the blinds, and turn the lights off. Yeah. Dicks. Yeah. Well, Lori makes it back to Tommy's house, but can't find her keys because Michael has chased her out of the house. Now she's trying to get back in the house. She finally manages to wake up Tommy, who takes his damn sleepy ass time. I know. (laughs) Opening the door. It's so funny. He's like, huh? What? And she's like, oh my God, Tommy, it's me. You got to open the door. You got to come in. Uh, Okay. (laughs) It's just 
like, dude, oh my God, this is the pinnacle moment of this movie. I need you to run. This is the freaking boogeyman you've been talking about. <laughs> Your time has come, Tommy. <laughs> well, Lori makes it inside and tries to get to the phone, but the line has been cut. She sees a side door open and now realizes that Michael has made it back in the house. He pops up from behind the couch and stabs the couch, narrowly missing her. This guy's got bad aim. That's twice now. that yeah. He just whiffed it. Uh, but Lori stabs him right back, but gets him right in the neck. Just so good. Just yeah. right in the side of the neck. Again, no blood. But now Michael appears to be dead on the floor behind the couch. Meanwhile, Loomis is still wandering the neighborhood trying to figure out which house Michael has chosen to terrorize. Back at the house, Lori goes upstairs to get the kids and says everything is okay because she killed him. It's it's fine. He's dead. He's not going to hurt him anymore. Right as Michael's big old footsteps are coming up those stairs and you start going, oh my God, oh mm-hmm. my God. <laughs> well, Lori shoves the kids back into Tommy's room and slams the door, locks him in, and then makes a break for the master and hides in the closet. And here is just one of the most classic scenes in horror. Michael starts rattling the doors and breaking the slats and banging on it and and breaks in. Lori grabs a wire coat hanger. Joan Crawford would be so disappointed. (laughs) Uh, She unwinds it and makes it into a big, like, you know, long pokey poker and jabs it right into Michael's eye. Yeah, it's a good Good kill. It's, well, it's nice. Whatever it is. It's it's a nice eye poke. <laughs> it's a nice eye poke. <laughs> if I've ever seen one, that's a, that's a good eye poke. Well, Michael once again appears to be dead on the floor, and we can breathe. Lori goes to the door and once again gets the kids. She tells them to go down the street to her neighbors and call the police. They get out of the house, and Lori sits leaning against the doorway, just, again, trying to catch her breath. But just behind her, Michael sits up. Yes. And you know the theater goes nuts. <laughs> and everyone just starts screaming. It is so chilling and so eerie. Because it, it's the camera is focused on Lori. Yeah. So it's even blurry behind her. But it doesn't matter because, you know, just when you see that shape, I mean, it's enough. You can tell it's him. You know, it's focused enough. But just you see the shape, which is how he's referred to in this movie, sit up and you know he's not dead. And this is not over yet. Oh, it's such a great moment. And just like, oh, shit, we can't relax yet. (laughs) And I love that we get that so many times. In this movie, and I know that in a lot of times in uh, scary movie parodies, that is something that gets parodied a lot with the Halloween franchise that mm-hmm. Michael just incessantly comes back. But I, 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 I love it because it just never gets it's creepy every time, like every time that fucker pops up in the dark, it's never not scary. <laughs> yeah, again, because it plays into that that nonstop yeah. terror that won't that won't stop coming for me mm-hmm. for you. There's nothing you can do. You can't kill it. You can't hurt it. It's just never going to stop. And the fact that he keeps coming back 
It's just horrifying. And of course, back then, this was a new concept. So it hadn't been done to death yeah. at this point for audiences. So so this is just has to be so much fun just to be experiencing this kind of thing. Well, the kids run outside and they're screaming. So Loomis now finally figures out where he needs to be. So back inside, of course, Michael attacks Lori just as Loomis rushes upstairs. Uh, and in the struggle, Michael's mask comes off and we very briefly get to see his face and you know the funny thing is john carpenter has said on multiple occasions that people come up to him all the time and say you know michael myers is is one of my favorite villains and the makeup effects on making him look scary when you took that mask off were so great he was just so hideous he terrifies me and every time he has to say the only makeup effects that you saw were just a little on his eye, supposed to be where Lori had stabbed him in the eye. Other than that, he looks like a normal human being. But everyone remembers him... Being super scary. ...as a hideous monster. Yeah. And it's so fantastic because here's this quote-unquote monster movie, you know, our villain, where we find out that sometimes the scariest monsters are real. Mm-hmm. They're human beings. And, you know, you and I have this other podcast we do, Creepy Caffeine. We do a lot of true crime. And we know that to be a fact. Yeah, yeah. And so the fact that here we've been terrorized by this movie monster for an hour and a half just to realize, oh, this is just a man. Yeah, yeah. That in itself is terrifying. Yeah. Well, of course, Loomis is there to save the day, and he shoots Michael uh, enough times that he keeps backing up, and finally he falls out the window and finally lays dead on the lawn. And Lori says to Loomis, it was the boogeyman. And Loomis replies, as a matter of fact, it was. Which I think is just, I I think that's the perfect kind of ending dialogue Mm -hmm. there for our our two main characters yeah i guess you would say and that's exactly what he was he was just this unstoppable frightening force yeah well of course loomis goes over to the window and looks out and lo and behold michael is gone Mm -hmm. so we now see various shots of the locations we've been at just these still shots they flash by and and over it we can hear michael's heavy breathing And it's just kind of letting you know he could be anywhere. He's still out there. And the very last shot that you see is the old Myers house and fade to black. So good. So, so very good. Chef's kiss. Well, we shouldn't waste any time at all because I, <laughs> there, there's one in particular I am so interested to hear what your answer is. So I, I am just itching to get to our prompts. Are you ready to go? Yeah, let's get to it. All right. What was your popcorn spiller? So for me, it's probably the end scene whenever Mike isn't there. Um, partially because, I mean, at this point, it's it's expected. But I, for me, I feel like this is where... As a huge fan of the movie, I, I sort of missed out on that that initial shock moment. 
because by the time I'd first seen this movie, I'd known that there was many, many sequels and, you know, it's, it, it had been a franchise. So I knew that Michael <laughs> obviously comes back. Um, but I love to kind of put myself in the shoes of seeing it for the first time. And I imagine that as shocking as it was to see from my first time and see how it was done, I think back man seeing that in real time I bet that was fucking phenomenal just just to see that final shot of expecting Michael to be there and you know him not be and then to get that ominous heavy breathing is just so good so yeah that that's what it is for me it just makes me uh maybe more so want to throw my popcorn and demand more (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I get that yeah (laughs) that is amazing and you're right it's so fun to think about these things as if you had seen it for the first time in the theater when it premiered. Mm-hmm. And I I would imagine that this kind of being really one of the first big movies to do that, to, to make your, your villain not be there at the end. And so you don't have that finality. You know, we don't know what happens and he's still out there. And so now you as an audience member have to leave yeah you go out into the real world but you've got this thing playing in the back of your head yeah oh he's out there somewhere fuck yeah it's just a movie though yeah i imagine that was really effective yeah yeah it's just so good so good what about for you though well for me I do remember when I first saw this when I was younger, I I never saw it in a theater, but I do remember watching it probably either on cable or VHS, rented it, something like that. And and I was in my teens when I saw it. And I do remember that when Bob's body comes swinging down, I remember that scared the shit out of me the first time I saw it. But now, of course, I know that's going to happen and it doesn't doesn't get me like it did. And, and very rarely am I going to say that a jump scare is my favorite scare mm-hmm. in, in a movie. It's got to be pretty effective. So for me, it's got to be that moment when Michael's face just comes peering from uh, out of yeah, the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. It is just every time. I, I even think I audibly said I hate it when we were watching it. I was just like, I hate it. I yeah. hate it. It's yeah. just it creeps me out so much. Be- I have this fear. I have this fear of, well, I've talked about it before when we talked about Jaws, of being in areas where I cannot see my surroundings, whether yeah. that be water or darkness. When I was a little kid, I used to have this reoccurring nightmare about going to my bedroom and reaching my hand around the corner to flip the light on before I walked in the room. Yeah, And every time... A purple hand, (laughs) like it's wearing a glove or something. I just remember it's purple, but I can't see an arm or anything, just a hand, but it grabs my hand before I can turn the light on. And it scares me and I wake up. Well, yeah. So that whole scene of that darkness and then just seeing his face come out of that darkness, it reminds me of that. And it just gives me the chills every time yeah ew what if michael's wearing purple gloves <laughs> well then he's fancy <laughs> just a he's fancy just boy a fancy guy <laughs> he turns from spicy boy to fancy boy <laughs> what was your favorite scene stealer this movie all right this this is probably going to be a crazy answer i'm ready for it okay i love the kids both of them i love tommy's whining 
I love Lindsay's total engrossment in television, mm-hmm. and she completely ignores Annie's cries for help. I love Tommy's sleepiness <laughs> when Lori's frantically trying to get in the house. Yeah. I love that he gets so sad that no one believes him. <laughs> he simply just doesn't understand how to use his words. Yes. I just, every Is that relatable time, for you? I guess so, yeah. Because sometimes I feel like you get sad because you don't know how to use your words. <laughs> I can't think of how to explain things sometimes. <laughs> and it's upsetting. <laughs> It means I'm old. (laughs) There's two stages of life. Kid and old. Both, you cannot use your words. When I'm trying to figure out, you know, who I'm going to pick as my favorite character, you know, I think we both talked about how we always try and pick when they're on scene, who do you gravitate toward? Who do you tend to watch? And, And perhaps if you ask me after another viewing I'll have a different answer but this time around I just enjoyed the hell out of watching the kids and I I that's probably not a very fun answer but it's my honest one hey they need time to shine and this is their moment so you did that for them and I say thank you someone has to speak for the children (laughs) you gave them a voice today and for that we say thank you I believed you the whole time, Tommy. <laughs> well, what about you? Who was your scene stealer? Um, I mean, mine's probably an expected answer, and that was Lori. Oh, I mean. My queen. She's the best. She's just the best. I just, every time I watch this movie, I'm just in awe of her as a character and, and her as an act, actor. I mean, I really think about how this is her first you know, role and how she does it so damn well. But also I genuinely love Laurie Strode as a character. I love how in this time of horror, where a lot of times women are used gratuitously, um, we have this really kick-ass kind of uh, female role that Laurie Strode gets to fill and it's not in your face like she she's not in there you know physically kicking ass and everything like that a whole lot like she's just doing her job I mean she's just doing her babysitter job and that's it she's just being a regular teenager like trying to get help from anybody around and nobody's around so she's like okay I gotta do it and she does it and takes it on and there's a couple of notes about that in my, in my notes just about how I think it's so cool how her character was played up to be so smart and so brave. Um, and again, in a time where a lot of times female roles weren't written that way. So yeah, just just always stealing the scene and stealing my heart, you know, Laurie Strode. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I and get Jamie it. Lee. Yeah. You know, they didn't have a budget to have a costume department, so all of the actors were required to provide their own outfits. Uh, I'm not sure how that worked for the guy who was the sheriff, but I don't know what he's into. But (laughs) so Jamie Lee actually went out and bought her own wardrobe. She went to JCPenney, spent $100 and uh, provided her own costume. And the reason why I bring that up is I think it's just such an interesting choice of how she 
viewed her character Laurie yeah, Strode. Yeah. And I thought it was perfect. There was absolutely nothing provocative no. about what she wears. It's high knee socks. You can see her knees a little bit, I think is about as scandalous as it gets. But mm-hmm. yeah, turtlenecks and long sleeves and very conservative. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, it's such an interesting choice how she seemed to just kind of nail that yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's interesting because a lot of times when actors go into those roles they're just kind of given that persona basically with those clothes so yeah for the actor to be able to kind of make that creative choice is really interesting and especially how old was she again when she played that role do you know uh I think she was the only one that was actually still a teenager so maybe yeah, I thought so. like 17 18 yeah the other girls were in their 20s okay okay yeah I was just thinking it's so interesting as a teenager to be that well you know rounded enough to know her character like you said wouldn't dress that that provocatively or you know even even like the colors chosen mm-hmm. like I don't think that character would wear a lot of bright colors or a lot of blacks or anything so yeah I just think that's really cool to know that's a fun Freaking fact, my guy. All right. This is the one I've been really curious as to what your answer is going to be. So what was your gorgasm for Halloween? Oh, for, for me, it's a stabby hangy kill of Bob. Bob's kill? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always thought uh, that it was really ahead of its time. Again, that kind of profile shot and, and the kind of forethought to to give Michael that creepy head tilt because he carries that on Mm -hmm. throughout the movies and it's so creepy like even whenever he's not gazing upon you know his his kill per se uh, it's just an unsettling thing but to do that in a way of him staring at a dead body is just so unsettling yeah, that was actually a direction from Carpenter himself. He wanted him to just do these very subtle kind of head tilts mm-hmm. occasionally, just to show how he just takes everything in matter-of-factly. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's just killed someone, but he doesn't look at that any differently than he just picked a rose off a bush. Yeah. You know, it's everything is just, it is what it is, mm-hmm. and it doesn't affect him any differently than any other thing. Mm-hmm. So fascinating, fascinating choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But as far as like the the actual gore of it, despite the fact that the, that this movie doesn't have a lot uh, of the you know massive amount of fake blood and everything, just the thought of hanging somebody on the wall with a knife and the giant ass knife that Michael carries around is just so creepy. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's one of my, my favorite scenes in this movie. And it's one of those ones that I remember after the first time I saw it, it was like the only one that I remembered for the longest time, as far as like the kills, like Michael stuck with me and that kill. (laughs) When everybody would ask what my favorite movie was, I'd be Mm -hmm. like Halloween because Michael Myers and the stabby wall hanging guy. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's all you need to know. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I have that as my most memorable mortality. Okay, okay. Uh, Because I agree, it is just absolutely phenomenal. And again, I will say one of the most iconic kills in horror. Yeah. But getting back to the gorgasm, you know, I think it's so important to note 
how little gore there is in this film. Yeah. Because it really shows you how you can have a truly successful horror film Mm -hmm. and not rely on torture porn. Yeah, yeah. Now, some movies, there's a time and place for that. That's fine. It's it's important to help tell your story. I get it. But it doesn't have to be relied upon. You know, a lot of people think if you're going to make this scary slasher film, it's got to be extremely bloody and gory. And don't get me wrong, I love all that blood and gore. I have so much fun with it. But just the fact that this is one of the most iconic horror films of all time, and it doesn't have a lot of gore, is really significant. So because of that, I have chosen for my favorite gorgasm in this movie, the moment when uh, Michael tries to stab Lori and misses and just kind of nicks her arm. Yeah. And you see just that little bit of blood on her arm. That's it. Because that right there sums up the gore in this movie yeah yeah and how non-existent it is and i think it's phenomenal yeah yeah i have to agree yeah i i you know a lot of times i measure the gorgasm by you know what makes me either super excited whether that be visually like oh that was a really kick-ass gory scene or Mm -hmm. what makes me uneasy as a viewer but like in a good way like I like when there's a scene that's like ugh, I hate that and of course this this movie for me didn't have anything that made me feel uneasy in any way so to me that's always a big indicator of the gore factor but I can say that as far as the the uh bob scene that I gave mine to the stab sounds stabbing sounds really are pretty gnarly uh, oh, they're very effective. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So that only adds to the Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that alone helps people believe that this movie is far gorier than it is. Mm-hmm. You know, gore doesn't just have to be a visual thing. Yeah. So absolutely, yeah, those stabbing noises go a long way to, to making something truly horrific. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I guess since you uh, gave me your memorable mortality, I should give you mine. Absolutely. So uh, for me, and this might be, I don't know, maybe harsh. I don't, I I don't know. It's just, here's what I'm giving you. Uh, It was Linda. And that's because A, her character sometimes annoyed me. Uh, just totally <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I say. Sometimes it was the totalies, and just the. I had that moment last night when I was watching where I realized that I was eighty four years old, and I was like, oh, "Those darn teenagers!" Because <laughs> uh, I was like, seriously, the whole time that she was like, I, all of them kept trying to get boned and everything. I mean, cool, I get it. Do you do what you want to do? But I just kept finding myself being like, "There's a fucking killer on the loose. Can you not keep it in your pants for two seconds?" So like that was part of the issue. Um, but then on the other side of it, I, I think going to, to the fact that we have this true crime podcast, um, there's that part of me that does get into the, um, thought process of if this was a real killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from Lori's point of view where she is listening to her friend get choked out basically on the phone, 
and I put myself in those shoes and I have to think about how fucking creepy that would be if if Michael Myers if this was a, a real movie basically if Michael Myers was a real serial killer mm-hmm. and Mike and Lori sat there and listened to her f- friend being choked out would be fucking crazy and terrifying and shocking uh so twofold that, that was just my thought process last night whenever I was writing those notes down was a her character kind of annoyed me and then be on the flip side it would be terrifying to listen to your friend be choked out so there you go there you go I had a lot of thoughts about it <laughs> you did but they were good thoughts thanks well of course that leads us to the big question does it go in the vault or do we leave it in the dead zone for me, this was an easy yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, my answer, I literally wrote down, they wouldn't allow us to have this podcast if we didn't put it in the vault. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. It, it just has to be there for many reasons. Uh, and we don't have the time to name them all. Uh, <laughs> frankly. We don't. It's just, it's phenomenal. When you think of your horror heavy hitters, you think of Halloween, Friday the 13th. Nightmare on Elm Street, The Exorcist. It's up there with your top classics. Yeah. And it's one of the best horror villains of all time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, and we've talked about this, about all the movies. There's a reason that these movies are in this list. And this one, while it didn't create the idea of this monster, you know, we we were talking last week of, you know, Night of the Living Dead created the idea of of zombies. And that's, I think, one of the big reasons we we put that in the vault, because we wouldn't have that trope or that monster without, you know, that push from Romero. But while, you know, a serial killer isn't a new creative idea, the kills are creative. The abilities to do it without like you said a whole bunch of gore is creative and the way that they handled michael's backstory and you know even his many stories going forward which none of them line up um it's all just it's all so creative and it's one of those things that i think just is timeless you know i think halloween fans we forgive all the weird things that happen along the way because we just enjoy the ride and just enjoy Michael Myers and enjoy the classic crazy kills and the incessant ability to have a, a guy that just never dies. <laughs> he just keeps coming. Exactly. And, and we'll be here every time. Yeah. And that's okay. You know what? We figured him out. He just wants to do some laundry. <laughs> I think he needs a hug or two, and maybe he's hungry. And he loves dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode number seven is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through our hometown. 
Also, don't forget to check out the Linktree URL in our show notes to check out our socials and our letterbox so you can keep up with all the movies we're watching. And lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. From daughter to mother. Exactly. I'm very excited. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. And a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. Their drummer, Sam, brought a seven-layer dip to last week's screening, and it was to die for. I had like three helpings. It was absolutely delicious. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. Additionally, a novel, no, a novelization. There's no I don't know why I want to put a T in there, but novel titties. This is a novel titty movie. Can I get my novel tatas in here, please? Oh my god, this is a novel titty. How am I expected to read? So we flash forward to Smith's Grove, Illinois. It's not Illinois. Why would I say it like that? Make some noise, Illinois! (laughs) (laughs) Immediately everyone in Illinois stops listening. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.